Happy Thanksgiving, power collectors. What are you thankful for? Well, I just got off the phone with my real estate agent, and um, even though the deal's falling apart in the 10th month, police, lawyers, three appraisers, two banks, a law firm, a title company, police, uh, maintenance guys, um, multiple brokers and agents being consulted, uh, multiple buyers, multiple offers. Uh, I could go on and on and on. But what I'm most thankful for is obviously my agent. She's worked 10 months for basically free, if not negative, because she actually paid for some appliances to put into the duplex. So if you're going to be an entrepreneur, um, you got to be thankful for the ability to work for negative or free or minimum wage. I think I've made minimum wage or less for the last 40 years flipping. So I'm thankful that even though I make five, 10 bucks an hour net most years and over the last five months, I'm actually bleeding out. I'm thankful that the cash keeps flowing and somehow through creative debt financing um, and large government loans, student loans, EIDL, SBA 504s, I'm thankful for my country providing financial power to keep food on the table and a roof over my head and a warm bed at night. I go to bed every night in Vegas. Um, so thankful for the weather, the hot water, the hot showers. I didn't have a hot shower until I was a, a reliable hot shower until I went off to college. Um, you know, I grew up without food delivery, um, septic system, out in the boondocks, no such thing as internet. I didn't have a TV growing up. Um, you know, no online gaming, no team gaming, no team sports, all the things that are probably taken for granted in the modern American age. Um, and that's why I have a very different opinion about taxes and many, many other things. I'm very thankful to be born and raised in America. I've been abroad and um, I pay all my taxes because I've seen a brown water, you know, and um, I've shit in uh, in latrines in Thailand and lived on a beach for three weeks where there's no electricity, no sewer, no shower, no hot water. And the food comes off the ocean and there's no refrigerator and there's flies everywhere on the food that you're eating. I've been there. I've done that. So I'm very thankful for my modest 1350 square foot um, rental house for 2070 plus utilities in Las Vegas, which would cost, you know, three or four in California, probably more in Oregon because it's a single level home with land where the where the puppy can roam. And that's probably what I'm most thankful for right now is my wife being able to shower this puppy with love to provide us the time to chat you and me podcaster to listener she's full of love my wife and um without nieces nephews sons daughters grandkids here in the united states we don't really know anybody and there's no reason for us to collect things because there's no one to pass it to there's no one to share it with i collect inventory i'm a dealer so i'm very thankful for my wife being able to raise this puppy it's very hard for me at 55 with a you know, death, anxiety, heart, arrhythmia, bipolar one, uncurable, schizophrenic shades, um, along with a bad back, bad hip, you know, all kinds of problems physically. And that's another thing. I'm really thankful for the health that I have left. I've been having chest pains. Um, I think it's anxiety, not an angina. I don't know. I thought I had liver problems, but that checked out. So 
you know, I'm full of excuses today, but I'm thankful for every freaking day. And I'm thankful for every podcast I can make now. I'm thankful for being able to finish my last project on the computer just now during Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for a little bit of breather here because I work 365 days a year. I work holidays, birthdays, anniversaries. I work, 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 work. I'm thankful for the action. And that's why I do this. It's the action. It's it's the notifications, the people, the the um, the information, the data, the products, the action, the change in the market, the volatility. I love it all. I love the action. That's probably why I like Vegas. It's not that I like gambling. I like information. And um, I'm really thankful for the CGC guide that dropped because this is the most comprehensive piece of information we've seen in the hobby for a while. So what other people am I thankful for? I'm thankful for the WADA team that met me down there in Long Beach. I'm thankful for the the team that started Collecticon, which started as Pokecon, actually. And um, congratulations, Matt, for getting your Circle R. I'm really proud of you. I'm so thankful for the people that I've met through the podcast and eBay, as well as social media. Um, people in Clubhouse that where we went at it the other night and um, talked about the hobby and talked about you know, is it okay to look at the hobby as this raw material asset zone where we should slab anything and everything for as, as you know, as fast and as, as, as much volume as we can. And we got into it about, you know, dealers and flipping and reselling and submitting and, and reinvesting in the hobby. And I'm thankful for those debates because it's stimulating. It's, it's, I'm a thinker. My passion is thinking. That's what I do. When I have downtime, I lay in bed and think. I lay on the couch and think. I sit, I sit there at lunch and dinner and think. I'm, I'm in the car. I'm thinking. I'm always thinking. I'm going to the post office, thinking, thinking, thinking. People think I collect spreadsheets and data. I have a little spreadsheet running my business, but I collect information in my brain. That's where it is. So I'm thankful today that I finally found an outlet for all that thinking. I guess I like puzzles. And that's why I was, I was a gamer. I was a gamer before gaming was a, a word. I was a gamer back when croquet was gaming, pinochle. I was playing pinochle with 65, 70-year-olds and doing holding my own at 6, 7, and 8 back in the day. I'm talking 70s. You know, I was a gamer way before video games. Then came Mattel Football, Game & Watch 1, Atari 400, where we could copy cassette tapes and floppies. And to me, it was just the puzzle. How can I get more games for free? How can I get games cheaper? How can I get that game at a great deal? How can I find that game for that customer? How can I create a video that helps someone understand games is what I'm thankful for today. I just finished editing my first iMovie content. I'm thankful for the Apple Store, and you can read that on the last frame. I just finished my subtitles. All I have to do is blur out the addresses. I'm thankful for Dan Riga for uh, watching my video before I had to delete it. I'm thankful that he uh, noticed that my addresses were all over the place and it's time to do some blurring out like those uh, Japanese porn pornography videos you see. Um, actually, that was a thing in Japan. You can see that Netflix show about the director over there. It's really funny. It's actually a comedy, but uh, they blur out genitalia in Japan and did, did so for decades. And it opened an opportunity for an entrepreneur just made a boatload of money before he put it all into satellite TV, which actually failed and he went bankrupt. It's a really good hero's journey story. I recommend it. 
I also love the Apple movies that are entrepreneurial because they always show, usually Hollywood movies always show failure. And that's what I love learning about is failure. You know, Steve Jobs getting fired from Apple. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak meeting at Atari. Uh, Steve Jobs having, you know, arguments with Atari management about um, the products and quality. Him and, and, and Woz getting mono, failing physically via health, the thing we're thankful for today. But out of that came a duo that changed technology for the rest of the world for the next several decades. It came out of a failure and it came out of a lie. Steve Jobs told Woz, you know, we're going to get paid $500 to do this. And he took the five grand, went to India, and that was the seed money for Apple Computer. That came before the boards, which came before the wooden computer, which came before the Apple One, which came before the Apple II that changed the world. And that led to enough money to be able to fail developing Macintosh over and over and over, which turned into the failed Newton, which kind of led a segue into the iPod, which led to the iPhone. So if you really look at the iPhone, that's really the device that changed the modern world. And that's what I used to create this movie today. It's built on a pyramid of failures, an Atari failure, this failure, that failure. I mean, they barely got Apple computer off the ground. So I'm thinking about going Apple. Well, I'm not going to ditch my PC, but I think I'm going to go Apple for my creative work now. I think as of this podcast, I'm going to announce that I am a creator. This is Power Collectors TV soft launch. This is, I guess, the audio side of it. I don't know if we can put audio, but here's the concept. I think I'm going to make powercollectors.com text and audio, and Power Collectors TV is going to be video and audio, of course. So I'm really thankful for technology, especially the internet, because I've been on the internet since 1992 before it was a public internet we were dialing up on sportsnet if i have any sports card listeners that out there but back in the day all the coin and sports card shops were on sportsnet there was no ebay or internet there were no smartphones or food delivery or ubers or you know apps or any of that stuff it was all text-based there were no credit cards it was just basically what you would call bbs it was one stage beyond bbs because it was nationwide with people you didn't know. To me, BBS was about um, getting together with people you did know, maybe in a chat room or something. That came later with AOL. I never did the AOL thing, but I'm talking about Sportsnet, which was business. It was commerce. The people that started that network were trying to put together a network of card shops and coin shops around the country so that they can trade. And it was just like the early days of eBay, not auction. You'd simply throw up a text-based offering. I have a sealed case of upper deck basketball cards. I'm asking $850, you know, and, and usually it would be DLLVD delivered, and um, that would be the price delivered. The seller would be responsible for delivering the product. The buyer would be responsible for sending a check. And since it was a private network of dealers, there really weren't any rubber checks or people sending ch checks late or people sending product late. Did you do commerce before PayPal make offer pictures, um, credit cards? So I'm thankful that I have a different perspective on the internet 
technology, networking, the power of network, which apparently, according, according to Moore's law, I think it's Moore's law, is it? Uh, it's one of the laws out there where for every person you add to the network, it doubles the power of the network. So let's say we have a network of people that are collecting graded gains. If we add one more person and that's a connected network, the power of our network doubles. And I think that's really what the CGC guide is all about, in my opinion. So if you're new to the channel, I share my opinion about business, commerce, markets, and taxes. Primarily, I'm not really a current gamer where I'm talking about gaming or gameplay or features, uh, stuff like this. I'm usually talking about game packaging and the market for game slabs. And generally, the market is Heritage and eBay and WADA slabs. That is the bulk of the market. And I wanted to mention one thing before we continue, if you're coming over from other areas like Pokemon or sports cards. Keep in mind that PSA is not the best slab out there. It's not the thickest. It's not the strongest. It's not the best. It's not the best label. It's kind of a plain Jane. It's thin. It's it's fragile. But they have the majority of the market share. And as a guy that studied business, as a guy that started a card shop 30 years ago and has been failing in entrepreneurship for three decades, I know how hard it is to grab market share and maintain it. Because right now I'm getting killed my lunch is getting eaten by standard gaming. I used to be the place to buy one, two, three hundred dollar WADA games on eBay. Right now, you know, there's a hundred people doing that. Last year, there was maybe 10. Two years ago, there was a few. And I had the most WADA slabs on eBay. So getting market share is pretty good if you time it right. It's great. But you know what? Keeping market share is virtually impossible. And you can always go back to the Dow Jones or the NASDAQ or the Russell. You know, you can always look at those top companies and say, well, how many were around 100 years ago? How many were leaders five or 10 years ago? You know, I mean, if you are brave like me and you, you like pain and, um, you know, you've got to be like a soldier, you've got to push through pain. Um, that's what it's all about. There's only one rule in entrepreneurship, and that's never give up. You know, because I'd say one out of 100 people are left standing after year 10 in the same market, in the same brand, in the same business, and with a significant chunk of money or assets in the black. I would say it's one out of 100. I would say it's better than the lottery. But if you think you can enter a market and sustain a position or, a, or become a leader, uh, you better be a team player and you better have connections. You better have money. You better have um, the ability to implement every single day of the year 365. And if you make a mistake, you have to have the ability to, to get through the hate, get better and, and keep going. You can't just sit back as a leader. And I think that's a misconception. So CGC right now is attacking the leader. The leader is WADA in the marketplace. If we counted up the marketplace, I'm estimating, and again, I'm not a licensed professional. I am a honest businessman that's been doing this for 30 to 40 years. And I'm, I'm talking from experience, and this is my opinion. 
in my opinion, our market of slabs is 100 million to $1 billion in market value, depending on the day. Happy Thanksgiving. Today is November 24th, 2022. And this is my gift to you. This is my turkey. It's not a joke. I should use more comedy because I was really freaking funny in college. I mean, if I can swear, I can be funny, you know, I mean, gosh, I could tell so many stories. I was thinking about, uh, you know, telling stories about the early days at Altered Shot and and uh, crazy stuff like TV shows coming through the building looking for cocaine dealers and living above an arcade and and playing uh, foosball like you've never seen. I mean, it was just insane what we went through without any money and just passion. Um, and that's why I haven't been following passion since. After that venture, um, that taught me that passion doesn't pay and it gets you in trouble because you start buying stuff that you're too passionate about and you realize your customers aren't passionate about it. I don't know where I got on this tangent, but I guess what we're talking about is WADA may have been started with a passion. And as far as as far as I'm concerned, Dennis and Kenneth hit the jackpot. They turned passion into a market leader, also helping the hobby by releasing a free database of variant knowledge at the same time joining with the basic leader in all of alternative assets. You could argue collectors, number one in coin grading, number one in probably autograph grading um, overall, not niche. And then number one in um, um, card grading and then number one in, in, in video games. I mean, that's insane. Now you have CGC challenging that number one in comics, number two in coins, I don't know who's in paper money, but I would say number one, two collectors, CGC, and then they're going to, they're going to vie for number two in uh, games because VGA is, is just, I, I don't know. I don't know what VGA is doing. I don't see VGA as a, as a, as a public company level competitor. When I say public company, I'm talking about a company that has full disclosure, 100% transparency, a CFO, CPAs, a team of lawyers, deep pocket investors at the top, managers, middle managers, and a system of operations that is like a machine running 365. I don't see that with VGA. It seems more like a toy passion project to me from the outside. I have done business with them and I'm grateful. I'm thankful that they do slab a lot of material that a lot of other companies don't. But there's others out there, CAS, CAD, P1, UKG. I think there's some companies in uh, Spain Limited and in Germany, there might be a company starting up. Um, there might be some others in America like VGG or VCG. I can't remember what it's called. They apparently do a CIB. So I respect CGC for attacking CIB, um, putting out a guide, because if you make one little error in the gaming hobby, you're going to get hate and, and going to get railed on. So, uh, you know, I'm, press, I'm impressed that at the bottom of the intro, they said, if you notice something that is incorrect, quote unquote, or you have suggestions or additions, please email us at service at cgcvideogames.com. So I'm thankful that CGC is opening the door to input. And um, that might be a little bit of an area where collectors seems to be weak as customer service. We just had a, a heated clubhouse on Tuesday with 
one of the co-owners of Heritage. There's six owners, and he's uh, he's also from Coins from Brazil and um, a very young uh, superstar entrepreneur that became an owner of Heritage. And we talked about Brett coming into video games and and the perspective the perspective from Coins. Um, I don't know how to spin this positively. Is that games are a blue ocean? You can Google blue ocean, red ocean. It's a blue ocean of material. It's basically raw material. It's like stumbling upon a gold mine or a diamond mine that nobody knows about. You're stumbling upon a billion dollars worth of material that has yet to be slabbed. And that perspective is very different than me talking about hunting down a first print manual in 8.0 or 7.5 because mine's a 6.5. You know, I'm looking for a diamond in the rough. I'm, I'm panning for gold solo, hiking up a mountain to try to find one little nugget to make my CIB 0.5 higher and upgrade and preserve a piece of history for the hobby. Whereas maybe some other people want to send in a pallet or two or three. The rumor was Bobby is sending in a ton of material now. You can you can Google on YouTube or just, uh, I don't know what you call it, YouTube, Google you, search YouTube and search for Video Game Warehouse and Pixel Game Squad. And you can see stacks and stacks and stacks of maybe 100,000, 200,000, probably up to a million games people are drooling over. They just want to get them in slabs and bring them to market. You know, we're talking profit margins of 10 to 13% to maybe 15 on the net side, and they're satisfied with that. I cannot compete with that. So I actually appreciate CGC coming in and admitting that if we made a mistake, give us feedback. And the word on the street from the heritage owner is that, and Brett actually talked about running PCGS during the time they were a public company. I don't know if you know much about public companies. That's what we study at the MBA level. We don't study private. We don't study eBay. We don't study how to start a business. That's kind of a misnomer. When you get your MBA, you're basically studying public companies. You're not studying how to start a business. You study Walmart. You study Tesla. You st we did our project on Blockbuster versus Netflix. When Netflix was trading at $10, $20 a share and Blockbuster was like 25 and we predicted that uh, you know Netflix would blow up. And, and if I had made that bet as a poor college student, I probably wouldn't have to flip games today. So we do a lot of analysis of data and publicly available data because you can't really analyze private companies because there's no standards. And that's what public companies have. So we talked about the standards. And apparently the word on the street is that inside collectors, the actual operations are not as quote unquote tight as CGC. Now, even though CGC blew me off, ghosted me, they said they were going to pump my channel. They said they were going to come on the podcast. And then I heard nothing. And then I just got an email said, sorry, we're canceling you, Hopper. And, and that broke my heart. That was tough. That was, I've taken so many L's in my life. I've been through bankruptcy, divorce, repossession. I've had to auction my, you know, my retail store on eBay and it ended at five grand. And I owed 50 for uh, credit cards to put material on the shelf, sealed cases and sealed boxes, sealed packs. Um, that broke my heart. Divorce broke my heart for 10 years. Today, I'm feeling pretty good because I found video. It's not like the holes in your heart heal, but you just move on. You just freaking move on and you try to focus on the future. And if you look at the future of the hobby, CGC coming in is a good thing because I think they're a professional company. And I like that. I want the hobby to elevate and evolve into a market. 
because here's the deal. Our trading stocks fun, our buying and selling cars fun, is buying and selling jewelry, gold, silver fun? Is it fun buying bonds that just sit there and give you 3%? Is that what you guys and girls really want to do? Turn this back into a sleepy hobby and we all put our put our money in 401ks and ride roller coasters managed by Wall Street? Is that fun? I mean, if you could wave a magic wand and you had a billion dollars, wouldn't it be fun to invest in an asset class that you grew up with as a kid rather than you know, drinking the water cooler that Wall Street and the, the hedge funds and the retirement funds are doling out? Google, who stole my pension fund? If you have all your net worth in a 401k, are you having fun? And believe me, the last argument is real estate. Oh, that's physical. That's fun. Uh, no, it's not. Not if, uh, not if you have bad luck like me. And you've you've got to go through evictions and 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 buyers that are out of their mind and 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 uh, oh I I don't even want to get into it but real estate could be a complete nightmare where you can't even sleep at night you don't even know what the phone call tomorrow's I'm waiting for a phone call right now on Thanksgiving my agent we have two offers on the table I'm not going to be able to sleep until I get this phone call it's either a two hundred grand cash offer or a 220, 230 seller carry finance where I take all the risk. Sure, you can make more, more money with the interest and all that, but the mental anguish of carrying that asset where you might have to foreclose on it versus getting a lowballed check, either one of the options is, is it sucks. It's like either selling a video game for less or, or sending it to a buddy and putting him on a payment plan. You know, when you start mixing money and friendship, it's over. That's one thing I don't recommend. Um, where was this rant coming from? Yeah, it's been an angry week. I apologize to everybody in Clubhouse. I got angry at it. It's not you guys. Um, I'm not angry at Brett. I'm just angry that I was unable to build a team and grow great in games and power collectors into a leader over the last three years because I don't have the people skills. I don't have the CEO type. I'm an analyst. I'm a researcher. I'm a thinker. I'm not a people manager. And if you're not a people manager, you're not going to grow a brand and become a leader, unfortunately. Um, don't get into reselling. Don't get into entrepreneurship. Don't invest in alternative assets unless you love pain. That's the moral of that story. So I appreciate a serious player. And I did read the book recently by Schwartzman on what it takes. And this guy... This guy's amazing. I mean, he's only had a couple losses and, and his wins are just off the hook. Seven, eight, nine, ten figure wins. And this guy did it all with other people's money, professional, uh, you know, ethically. And, and people think BlackRock, Blackstone are bad things. But, you know, I respect this guy. And if he's an investor in CGC, that must mean something to me. That's one of the most amazing books I've read. Um, I would love to start a fund someday for alternative assets. If anyone's listening and wants to do that, I would love to be the research analyst, the market analyst. Obviously, I would specialize in video games, but I could also advise on sports cards as well as maybe muscle cars. Um, you know, there's some markets I, I have a handle on. So where were we? We're, we're supposed to talk about the CGC reference guide today. And, um, all I want from CGC is an apology for that last email and another invitation to collaborate if anyone from CGC is listening. So 
I'm thankful for health. I'm thankful for all the people in Clubhouse, all the people that follow me. I'm thankful thankful for you, the listener. I'm thankful that um, this podcast is still going. It was started as a birthday present to myself um, just to kind of get the thoughts out of my head. And I'm realizing that is my medicine. I just finished my video and I got those thoughts out of my head. Getting thoughts out of my head is the healthiest thing for me. I do therapy. I've been through 24, maybe three dozen therapists. Um, and you know, therapy works for like an hour or two or three, but by the next day, all the shit in your head returns. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm much more into counseling, which is about talking about the future and what we're going to do to change therapies about all the mistakes in the past and digging up crap and crying. And somehow that's going to heal it. Never worked for me. I've been through therapists in three States, multiple health providers. And, uh, you know what? Podcasting rules. I wish I had more time to do it. Um, I am thankful for stuff as well. Um, the things that buy, sell, trade video games have provided my little family. Let's try to think of those right now. Are you thankful for any stuff? My bedroom is bare. There's nothing in it. I'm talking about stuff in the family business. So I'm not really a collector of things. I've been more of a Buddhist my whole life. So I collect inventory. I collect assets that will be bought, sold, or traded that people I know like. And I also speculate on what the future market might like in the future. Like right now, I'm speculating that 9.8s in an old water holder are going to hold value long term. That's just an example. But I don't have any 9.8s in my personal collection. I only have two items in my personal collection. I do have some old Japanese um, players from my old card shops that I lost. I had four card shops back in the day, if you're new to the hobby. I mean, new to the podcast. And um, I'm, by the way, I'm back in the closet. Just got that fly because Studio C didn't work out. There was a Neko. But I'm trying to turn the laundry room into Studio B and my bedroom into Studio C. So I don't really have stuff. The stuff in the laundry room is all for sale on eBay. Um, where was I going? I was talking about being thankful for stuff. And, you know, I never had a console under the tree, a video game under the tree. Um, you know, I had one one video game machine. I mail ordered an Atari 400 with a 410 cassette player. So my parents were kind of hippies, so they weren't into stuff. It was more traveling experiences, um, trying to live off the land, gardening, building fires, cutting down trees, you know, digging ditches, whatever it is tending to apple trees. We did things as opposed to stuff. My dad would buy tools. He had a lot of tools. So I guess growing up, really, all I had was tools. And that's what I have right now. I've got a microphone. I got a mouse, my wife's computer. I'm thankful for that. We're using that right now. I'm thankful for two computers under my desk. I'm thankful that I might be getting another computer. I'm thankful I have two iPhones that are still powerful enough to do um, all this creation I'm, I'm doing. I'm really thankful for my car which is like a dream car. Um, I really love made in Japan hardware. It's, it's the best thing on the planet because I'm biased. I'm half Japanese. Yes, I'm biased, but I love made in Japan automotive. I did my master's thesis on the automotive industry. I spent two years doing that research. You can Google it. Maybe it's called um, the hybrid phenomenon. Um, you might be able to Google it. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, I talked about the 
Prius coming in and disrupting that market and kind of the electrification um, before the Lehman crisis. But um, it was a hybrid stopgap thing before Tesla took off. So I was actually doing my research before Elon Musk took over the world, but it, it gave me insight into disruption. And um, one of the things I really learned was academic research. And I think that's a great place to start. My car is probably the last thing. And of course, my bed and, and, and whatever, but the roof over my head and a hot shower, too hot. We have two bathrooms, actually, two toilets, two hot showers. I mean, that's that's to me is I'm wealthy, you know, in terms of possessions compared to a billion people without a billion people running on brown water, you know, no sewer, no toilet, no hot water, people that don't have stoves. There's billions of people that struggle every day just to cook clean, um, bathe, um, defecate, whatever you want to call it. We are lucky. You are lucky if you have a, a working toilet, hot water coming out on, on demand, a roof over your head, and a refrigerator and a stove. You are really lucky. There are a lot of people living without those things. And the other thing is the water coming out is probably not going to kill you or get you sick, I mean. So, I don't really have any stuff except cardboard boxes. That's probably what I collect. I collect cardboard boxes. So I'm thankful for all the free shipping materials that Heritage, Comic Link, Comic Connect, Golden, eBay are giving me so I don't have to buy that stuff. And I am kind of uh, environmental. I do what I can to recycle in my home business. But going back to my master's thesis, um, which I spent six years in grad school because I went through bankruptcy, divorce, losing a company, moving to LA, moving back to Northern California. I was commuting 600 miles in a little hybrid vehicle that got 70 miles to the gallon for a while. Um, I changed advisors on my master's thesis. Um, I rewrote it a trillion times. It came out 200 pages, 200 references, you know, um, sources up in the 150 range. I was in the library all the time, online all the time. Um, we turned it into a derivative article in the Futurist, which is a journal. I am a futurist, actually, technically. I can see the future, and I have on this podcast. I have made recommendations that panned out like CIB, Tyson, sports for a moment there. Um, we'll see on the Marvel call. But um, I learned about research and references and, and, and data. It's, it's, it's really go to the source when you're doing academic research, you're, you're trying to go as close to the source as you can. So if you're researching Tesla, you would want to go to quotes by Elon Musk rather than just going to the Tesla website. You would want to go all the way to the source, like somebody that works at Tesla and interview them. So when you talk about reference, that's what today's guide is. It's called a reference guide. And when you talk about reference, what you really are talking about, in my opinion, based on going to six colleges with a quarter million dollar student loan today, having two degrees and doing one major master's research project, along with probably a thousand or more pages of business technical writing, I would say reference means something factual that you forget. And what we're talking about is... If you go to the library, I don't know about today, but when I went to the library back in the day, you had your tall stacks and your short stacks, kind of like your long boxes and your jewel cases. And the jewel cases were closer to the desk for customer service to look something up. The reason was 
people go to reference often. Like you'll sit down, you'll get a reference, a thick Bible, looking up maybe company names, for example. You're building a customer, a potential marketing list, and you're going through an industry database. And it's all, this is before the internet or during the internet where you don't see lists like this and lists like this cost money. And, and that's how it is in academia. All the, um, all the good stuff, the juice, you got to pay for it. It's subscription only. So, you know, Google or all the articles out there written by creators that aren't researched, we wouldn't consider that in academia a reference source. So that's what caught my eye immediately. If you look at the cover, it says CGC Video Games, TM. And that TM means that they've probably filed for Circle R, which Collecticon already has. And I'm wondering if Wada Games has that already. This might be a long podcast today. Now we're going legal. Ah, I don't, do I have time to look that up? I'm going to go to wadagames.com late November. Is Wada a TM or Circle R? the actual WADA logo. Um, ah, gosh. Now that we're becoming packaging experts, we can pretty much study any company. And it says CU slash WADA. That's new. Did you see the bottom? It says capital CU slash WADA, Santa Ana. But uh, I can't find who we are, maybe. Um, where's the WADA games? That's nice. A little tree. I don't see, like... A TM or an R next to WADA, which I would recommend doing, Dennis and Kenneth, if you're listening. But uh, there's a TM after CGC Video Games. So they're a new company. They're just coming on. They're, they're pretty bold releasing a reference guide because reference to me means facts. So here's my experience in the library. I used to build, um, I used to Frankenstein a muscle car between high school and college. I grew up in a muscle car town next to Sears Point, which is now known as Infineon Raceway. So, you know, I was within earshot of drag races and, uh, stock car racing, all kinds of racing. I could actually hear the racetrack. I'm actually an audio guy and I could hear that go off every weekend from my backyard. Well, whatever you want to call it, my dad's backyard where I would build cars and fix cars. And we had 10 to 20 cars, probably 10 cars at the peak. So many cars coming out in and out because we'd get cars for a couple hundred bucks, try to fix them. That was my dad's thing. And he uh, got me into it. You know, it wasn't about video games. Baby boomers don't play video games. That's fake news. I'm Gen X. I was the first generation to play video games. Baby boomers did not grow up with video games. They grew up using their hands, fixing tractors, trucks, cars. Um, I grew up on mini bikes, motorcycles. Um, I put a V8 in a Vega. Um, I grew up with a Honda Accord, Honda Civic. Uh, my parents had a Toyota Corolla. These were all two, three, four, five hundred dollar cars. My car was three hundred. So. I used reference guides in the library to fix my car because I couldn't afford a $15 book. And the other thing was we had several different cars coming in and out and it didn't make sense to buy 10 books at 150 bucks, which is a lot of freaking money when $5 worth of quarters can basically make your day. You can plan your whole day around a dollar to $3 worth of gas, $5 worth of quarters, maybe a $3 fast food lunch. And back in the day for 10 bucks, you could actually, you know, waste a day, have fun for a day. So that was one experience, auto parts. And um, the guides would tell you what part you would need, the exact part number or description of the part. You would go to the part store to get it. You would get the guide. You'd borrow the guide for three days. And as you're fixing the car, you would use the reference guide. 
um, sometimes with pictures, and it would help you fix the car. Now you've got YouTube. YouTube is a is a godsend for anyone fixing cars. So YouTube has become our reference guide for the planet. But you've got sources that are creators that are not necessarily experts that don't go, you know, to the actual primary data. And in this case, the primary data is the pictures of the games. So first page, you see Left Bros. And it's a beautiful picture. And I'm guessing since if you look at the third page written by Matt McClellan, Jason Broussard, Joseph Ross, I don't know, Megan, Man, Manzik, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, and photographs by Matt McClellan, Joseph Ross, and Philippe. So I'm assuming that it's a beautiful guide visually. It's, um, it's amazing because it's got mostly color. It's almost like a kid's guide. But I think that's from comics. I'm not a comic guy, but I, I imagine Marvel and the whole universe uses a lot of reds, a lot of um, bolds, a lot of um, mixing fonts with colors and pictures and images. So it is, it's very friendly. And I'm assuming that the primary data in this guide are the pictures. So these aren't like stock photos from Wikipedia, which is what you're going to probably find. Um, as you as you use the new reference guide for the lazy modern human being called i don't know TikTok, youtube and google search bars um i use google all the time but i'm very careful about which reference i choose so that takes care of what is a reference guide it's it's a factual thick bible that sits in the library that's used for doing a business or academic research. Now, in this case, it says first printing, copyright, a division of. So CGC Video Games is a division. I was just reading the second page. So we're talking about a reference guide for collecting. But in my opinion, after going through the whole guide last night, thinking about it quite a bit, thinking about basically that this is a keys versus rarities guide. In other words, if you can't memorize the keys or rarities, for each console, this is a guide right there on your desk to pick it up real quick and go, okay, that's a key. Oh, that's a rarity. That's a traditional rarity. That's what the guide is. It's a key versus rarity guide because you can't memorize that unless you grew up with those consoles, which brings me to who is going to use the guide. And generally in video game collecting, and I did collect games, um, around 1980 um i'm not, basically game and watch when the first game and watch dropped ball that's when i started collecting i played games in the 70s i was collecting quarters so we collected the games we played we collected the games now by the time floppies came out i was collecting games that i didn't really want to play i was collecting games to add to my collection i was not necessarily putting together a complete atari 400 800 set that wasn't even a word. We didn't even have game shops. We didn't even know what was on the artwork or packaging. This was just about handwritten floppy disks and trying to get as many games as we can without quarters. So maybe I was a completist and I didn't know it until today. But generally, I think people collect the games they play. So you go back and collect the games you play. I can't really do that because I don't know exactly which games I played. I could probably find out and I might do that when I retire. I might figure out which games I really loved. I know I loved the Ultima. Um, 
but out of the thousand games I had on cassette tape and floppy, I don't remember 990 of them. Um, I didn't collect Super Mario. I don't remember Mario Brothers. I played Mario Brothers Arcade in the arcade a few times, but I don't remember Donkey Kong on a floppy disk. I can't remember. Um, I'm sure I played it, but yeah, I mean, whatever. Memory issues, right? So we collect the games that we played. So when you look at it from that perspective, that's not what this guide is. It's not a reference guide to help you remember the games you played because it's talking about keys and rarities, unless you only played keys. But what it leaves out is hidden gems. And I think that's something that Metal Jesus has built his channel on, hidden gems. These are games that we loved as kids, right? But we don't see YouTube videos on them. We don't see them at the retro shop when we pop in because they're on the back shelf or maybe they're sold out. They're great games that didn't really sell. And I think that's what we're talking about when we're talking about keys is we're probably talking about bestsellers, right? Switch bestselling games. Nintendo Entertainment System bestselling games. So that's a reference guide right there. You can just click on Wikipedia, list of bestselling Nintendo games. You can click on Wikipedia, list of bestselling Switch games. That is a reference guide right there. It's an Excel spreadsheet. It's factual. It's got links to all the publishers. That's pretty much what this guide is doing. So I came to the conclusion, and I think I can back this up with number one, the top two people, McClellan and Broussard, are retro game shop owners. So number one, they're dealers. Number two, they're merchants. Number three, they collect inventory like me. In other words, if they were building a reference guide, it would have to include all the popular games for their customers, not the games they collected as a kid. Because if so, you would see Atari at the front alphabetized. Instead, Atari's in the back because they're respecting the market. So the way I look at this guide is that it's a guide for dealers coming over from comics, coins, paper money, and any other vertical that CGC is thinking of developing. This guide is for CGC flippers, speculators, dealers, merchants, retro shop owners, coin shop owners, comic shop owners, distributors, uh, graders, submitters, entrepreneurs like Brett. This guide is really for buy, sell, trade. Because if you're a collector, you already know what games you played and you already know the keys and the rarities of your system. Now, if you're one of those rare, rare, rare birds out there, one of those super rare birds like a hopper, the bird you never see, he comes in, he takes off his mask for five months, five minutes, and he hops away to another state or country and you won't see hopper again. Because he's off collecting a console he never played. He's off doing research in real estate because he's never owned a duplex before and at 55 he's learning a new industry. He's hopping around industries. He's hopping around consoles. He's hopping around ceiling grades. He's hopping around grading companies. He's trying them all. That's where the reference guide comes into play. A guy like me can pick it up and say, hey, what are the keys and rarities for Switch? I don't play Switch. I never will play Switch. I don't have kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews. I do have one niece in Japan. 
my wife's cute. Um, she's actually going to grad school, believe it or not. She studies some sort of engineering on the, I'm not even sure, agriculture, food, like, like her dream job, I think would be like making supplements or something. Um, she actually studies biology and stuff like that. And I think she just got into grad school. Congratulations, Monet. Omedeto gozaimashitane, Monet-chan. Anyway, I have one niece and she does play games and it just so happens she plays the game that Eric Hewitt in Clubhouse runs, which was insane because he offered to give her some sort of digital presence. I don't even know what a digital present is, but I guess it's like crypto in a game. Thank you, Eric Hewitt. You are the man. That is going to make my niece's day. If I had kids or nieces or nephews or grandkids in America nearby, I would probably collect. And I would probably try to pump Atari 400-800. I would probably try to set up an Apple II um, in the living room. I would probably invite them over and introduce them to floppies. Because it was really the most revolutionary thing that happened in gaming. That really took gaming from a linear cassette tape to a live real-time access database on a floppy, which basically became a hard drive, and that's what's running the modern console today. It's not a Blu-ray disc. From what I understand, that's a key. Not the key we're going to talk about shortly, but a key that unlocks access to the cloud, which downloads things lightning fast to your hard drive, which acts as a backup RAM or memory system to keep the game moving swiftly as you move from one data set to another or let's say one location to another or another set of weapons to uh, another weapons cache or whatever it may be we're talking about data sets and access and and in a sense the floppy is the earliest version of the cloud if you connect that apple II to the internet so I can understand nostalgia. I can understand wanting to share nostalgia. I would love to talk about uh, Atari 400-800 someday, but that's not what this guide is about. At the end, you will see Atari 2600-5278, ColecoVision, and Intellivision. So those are the big five. So this does give us a group of consoles that are going to define a new market for the comic book dealers, the coin dealers, the paper money dealers that already have done seven, eight, nine, ten figures worth of business with CGC. And you can't ignore that market. They are quote-unquote newbies. They grew up with certain games, but maybe they left gaming, like me. I'm one of the rare birds that basically 99% of my inventory is not what I played. I have one thing in my personal collection. Like I said, it's a Tetris game. Shout out to my Florida buddy. He's just amazing. Um... He sent me a Tetris game, I think, for last Christmas or something. I can't remember. Um, it's got a $14.99 sticker on it. It's a PC. It's IBM DOS. It's a medium box. And it's pre-console. And not that I played that variant, that packaging variant, but I played Tetris in the arcade. And when I went to the arcades, there were certain games I would always play one quarter on. Not the ones you would dump quarters in, like Defender for me, or Pole Position, or Spy Hunter, or Whirlwind, or T2. But the games that you would always play once just to, I don't know why, maybe nostalgia? You'd pop one quarter in Joust. You'd pop one quarter in Tetris. 
pop one quarter in Mario Arcade. That was one of those games. So it means a lot to me. Um, shout out to the, the sign making, landscaping um, guy on IG. Tony, I believe, who sent me a battle zone. I don't know what you call that, a marquee or sign plate. I still have it when I become a YouTuber and show my face. Actually, I am a YouTuber as of today. I just finished editing my, uh, all I got to do is blur out my addresses and my first video is going to be up soon. Um, soft launch for Power Collectors TV is official and I am a YouTuber now. But that battle zone will go up, Tony. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to put stuff like, I got to put a floppy disk behind me. It's going to be cool. I'm just on all kinds of tangents today. I apologize. It's Thanksgiving, guys. I, I couldn't do like a, a hardcore script. This is, this is about Hopper being thankful for a lot of things over 40 years flipping. So I'm thankful that CGC kind of opened the door for flipping is cool. And I've come to the conclusion that reselling is a dirty word. Uh, speculating is a dirty word. Investing is a dirty word. Buy, sell, trade is kind of an old boomer word. It's like the only word that really works is flipping oh my god it says power collecting tips what oh my god i didn't notice that could i sue them i wouldn't sue them but i feel flattered so oh my god it says power collecting holy moly thank you matt thank you jason thank you joseph megan thank you philip joe and whoever owns cgc and signed off on that Wow. Power collecting tips. Huh. Well, where are those tips? Now I'm uh, now I'm off script. I'm like, whoa. Okay, so let's get into it. We're talking about a guide that introduces all the consoles, keys, and rarities for people that may not have grown up or collected 90% of those consoles like me. I only know Atari 400-800, played a little NES, played a little 360 and Best Buy, in between karaoke and the store in Vegas, maybe a little bit of PS3 at the demo console. Other than that, I it's all arcade for me. Let's look at the intro. So this is about really flipping, I think. Video game collecting is a growing hobby. And here's the key. We have evolved from basically the, the, the cassette, the disc. They didn't mention cassette, but for me, it would be cassette, floppy, then cartridge, then discs of their favorite games to boxes and manuals. So we're moving from just the media towards packaging. I think packaging is probably the word that is going to be the best way to describe people that think you're crazy because they're going to say, oh, you're even more crazier than I thought. Yeah, I collect video game packaging. But if you say that, it kind of takes the conversation away from video games which people might hate because um you know violence and, and and all these other things and and more towards the consumer consumer entertainment market whether that be beanie babies toys whatever so it's a will it's a way to build bridges flipping and packaging i think are the two words that i'm going to start using more i see those two words as building bridges because i think every collector can flip and every collector probably respects packaging, whether you're into Turtles figures, um, you know, rolls of Morgans, if they even exist, uh, case packs of Switch, whatever it is, I've always respected packaging because of um, my 
first flip 40 years ago where I flipped some floppy disks and I got a complaint from the customer because we did dumpster diving in a clean dumpster behind a manufacturer. And um, my first customer, my first flip complained that there was some grit and some of the disks didn't pass formatting, which was obvious because they were failed disks. But um, ever since then, I had been, you know, respectful of sealed product because usually sealed product won't lead to a customer issue. And I started selling sealed product uh, in 1991 when my first business altered shot ordered and established a direct manufacturer account with Upper Deck for inaugural first edition basketball. And that changed our lives. But anyway, let's get back to CGC's intro. So game collecting is, is evolving. We're going from cassette to media to cartridge to disc to manual to box to CIB to packaging. The shift now is factory sealed, high grade, awareness, production runs, matching components, variants. And here's the bottom line that I agree with. Video game collecting is more complex than before. I would have to say it's way more complex before and it's the most complex hobby on the planet. In fact, I constantly say welcome to the deepest hobby on the planet. And if you're already into gaming and you're already collecting or streaming or gaming or esports, I'll tell you this. Welcome to the deep end of the hobby if you want to dive down the variant rabbit hole to decide what to put in a slab. In other words, preservation, because preservation is about preserving something that was original. And that took decades for, let's say, muscle cars, where it was all about customization in the 80s. And now it's about original OEM. And I do like the O rating that CGC is proposing. I haven't seen the slabs yet. So they're talking about variants. They're talking about the hobby's best holder. I'd like to see them prove that. I don't think holders matter because PSA is the leader there. PCGS, they don't have the best holders on the planet. Um, I would say BGS is probably the strongest. Beckett grading, and they've fallen to number three. CGC's actually come come up after the 52 mantle sale. So, you know, you can lose a lead. You can easily, VGA can easily lose, lose second place. To knock off a leader, um, that would take something pretty significant. Have you been in an industry where you've seen a strong number one get knocked off? Okay, I just checked on the puppy and the wife, and this is going to have to be the last segment. I wanted to do two, three, four hours tonight, but uh, this is it. We're going to have to wrap this up. So we're talking about a reference guide of keys and rarities. And to me, that means supply and demand. To me, keys are about best-selling. Um, they're talking about cultural significance, popularity, and gameplay. To me, that translates on the business side to bestseller if it's a bestseller you can assume the gameplay is great you can assume it's it's definitely popular and you can assume it's significant because of the number of units sold so if you look at uh best-selling nes you've got you know smb let's just go to uh, nes and let's test my theory nes keys okay super mario one two three Bestseller number one, Super SMB one, uh, SMB two's number five, SMB two Japanese version number nineteen. Um, I don't know where SMB three is. It's on here somewhere. It's number three. Okay. And then you've got Castlevanias. Um, yeah, you would have to do a Control F to do this. Castle. Wow, Castlevania is not a bestseller. 
Oh, that's interesting. Okay, well, I was wrong. I was wrong. Um, yeah, I was wrong. Um, Castlevania, Castlevania 2, and Castlevania 3 are not bestsellers. So, this guide is obviously factored in cultural significance and gameplay that did not translate into units sold. But then again, we only have the top 78 here. The question is, how many units did I see? The Wikipedia list is, is bottomed out at a million units. So if it didn't sell a million units, which from what I understand is the requirement for a bestseller designation reprint, it's not on the list. So this goes beyond. This maybe does go into hidden gems. Would you consider Castlevania, Castlevania 2 II and 3 a hidden gem? Battletoads, probably a hidden gem. I bet Battletoads is not on the best-selling list. So if you want to be a pro, if you want to combine power collecting with um, commerce, dealer, perspective, bestseller units, and you're trying to slab as much as possible in the in the in the uh, blue ocean we're in because the more units were shipped the more slabs available there are if you can get your hands on raw copies there are hidden gems here and you might want to grab those first because they're shorter battletoads castlevania um ducktales was on the list Mega Man's probably on the list how many units has Mega Man sold i wish i had more time but you get the picture you can do this yourself basically cross-reference your favorite uh, target console and then pull up list of best-selling whatever games, and then um, do a cross-reference and write your own notes and come up with your own formula. Are you interested in slabbing as much material as possible? Are you interested in the highest profit margin? Are you interested in going niche to provide those hard-to-find hidden gems? So let's look at the traditional rarities. None of these are going to be best-sellers. Donkey Kong Jr. Math. I mean, man, that's got to be short. Dragon Fighter, Flintstones Peak, Kid Clown, Little Samson, Power Blade 2, Stadium, Zombie, Bubble Bubble 1 and 2, Cowboy Bonks, Panic. Yeah, I agree with that list. Those are all cool. Those are really cool. And the way I look at traditional rarity, um, if you are going to become a dealer or social media person, maybe a creator, and you're looking for slabs for the background, you're looking for flex, you're looking for stuff to give you street cred to get you respect from OGs and giving your brand or company a perspective of, well, this company is rooted in collecting as opposed to flipping, dealing, buy, sell, trade, investing, speculating, I would go for the traditional rarities. Um, those will get you street cred on Facebook groups. Um, I don't know about Instagram. But we're talking about OGs. But on Instagram, you can try another console. Let's say 360. Let's uh, let's go to 360 and see what the traditional rarities are there and see if the street cred hypothesis works. Um, so you got Zelda. A variant knowledge you're not going to find in this guide. This is not a variant guide. This is really about rarities and keys. That's really what this guide is. Variants are general. Um, they only go into specifics on a few. Nintendo Wii Switch. That's Nintendo. What's after Nintendo? It's Pokemon. Oh, it's handhelds. And then um, Sega. Sega comes after Xbox. Yeah, Sega, Xbox. We got to wrap this podcast up. PlayStation. 
Halo. Here we go. NFR platinum hits variance. You know, that stuff doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to be dealing in platinum hits, although I bid on a 9.8 um, Halo or something the other night. So traditional rarities on Xbox 360. Would these give you street cred if you were a creator? El Chavo Cart. That is hard to find. Sealed. Impossible to find mint and sealed. NC2A basketball 10, NC2A football 14. I've seen these games. They're hard to find on social media, but Web of Shadows, I don't know if it gives you street cred. So street cred is going to have to be retro. So if you're coming over from sports cards, you know, do you want to build a brand around uh, Prism? Or do you want to build a, a brand around uh, 52 Tops Baseball? Do you want to build a brand around 86 Club Basketball? Do you want to build a brand around... Um, you know, 90s inserts. There's all different ways you can go. There's different street cred niches. And I think that's what we're looking at on rarities. We're talking about the supply side economics. We're talking about games that are hard to find, definitely mint sealed, and probably even hard to find in quote unquote minty, which would be, let's say, played, but well taken care of. Kind of like if you're from Muscle Cars, the Granny Barn Find, the muscle car that got driven by, you know, a senior citizen who just went to buy groceries occasionally and kept it original. And, you know, it got driven. It needs to be taken care of. It needs to be gone over. But it's minty. And I think minty traditional rarities are probably a good, I hate to say it, investment. So that takes care of the intro, the difference between keys and uh, rarities. Keys, like I said, I'm, I'm defining that as a bestseller or something that has a lot of demand from a business standpoint. And that's what this podcast is all about. If you're new to the hobby, this is about business. This is about commerce. This is about markets, speculating, investing, power collecting. This is not necessarily about collecting. There's a lot of other websites, podcasts, YouTubes out there about collecting video games, playing video games. That's not me. Um, I recommend Collector's Quest by Tyler Wilkin, a.k.a. Default Gen, if you want to go deep down the collecting rabbit hole. Here on Game Investing, now known as Power Collecting, we talk about collecting packaging information and slab information and market information. So some of the information that they've um, proposed in a quick little glossary that I printed out was the key terms. And I just circled a couple that uh, caught my mind. Starts with cartridge, seal of quality, big box disc, all that. Retailer variants, that's interesting. I haven't heard about that, but that supports my hypothesis that we are actually packaging collectors. We're not actually game collectors. We are packaging connoisseurs is really what we are. And most of our experience has been at the retail level. But I'll tell you right now, Brett um, and Bobby, they're going to shake up our industry right now because they are dealing at the distributor level. They're going from distributor straight to submission. So they're not reinvesting money back into the sleepy hobby. They're reinvesting money into distribution companies and submission companies, which would be CGC and WADA, I assume. And if you're sending in 10, 20, 30, 100 cases to these grading companies, you can bet your bottom dollar you're going to get a discount. You're going to get preferred treatment. And you're probably going to get 10s, 9.8s. You're going to get a significant amount of high grades. And by the way, I have stopped submitting for a while because of tax issues that are pending due to the real estate. I don't know if I want submissions to land in 2022 versus 2023 tax year. 
And I don't know if I can get nine eights anymore. I just, I, I, I'm not, my followers, you guys don't sell me high mint raw sealed. Who's going to sell anybody high mint raw sealed? I bought the uh, MW4, the Call of Duty. I bought the Call of Duty after the 50 grand sale. I went on eBay and I bought the one with the Nick, the one that you guys passed over. You know, I have to uh, I have to be satisfied with 8.0s. I'm okay with that. I'm okay bringing newbies in with 8.0s as long as they're super heavy first prints. So the other one that caught my eye was Game Code, a sequence of numbers that refers to the USA product code. I don't know about that. To me, Game Code... Is about what we collect. That's the art. And the art is the game development art captured on the media, which is the code. To me, game code is the art. That is the purest form of the art we are collecting. But we are packaging connoisseurs because the art really stays the same usually, whereas the packaging changes. Qualified. This is something new, and this is going to cause some confusion. Have you had experience with qualified from VGA? I've sent in a qualified from VGA to WADA and I got hammered on a brand new never played cart and never flipped through manual. I got hammered. Um, that's one form of qualified. Open once, looked over by the toy experts at AFA. CGC's qualified is a video game that has either been restored or has incorrect or missing parts. So I guess... Qualified over at CGC is the equivalent of an IMP at WADA. Something is wrong with the game. Okay. I don't know if that's mixing imp with greater notes, but I do know over at PSA qualifiers, if you're uh, a power collector, you try to avoid those and they break your heart when they come back, such as off center, uh, wax on the card, um, spots on the printing, um, you know, printer marks, whatever. Qualifieds kill, qualifiers in PSA cardboard, flat cardboard kill values. So maybe that's what they're talking about. PSIs, publisher specific inserts. This is new to me. We're talking about reg cards, publisher advertisements, which is cool, and posters, which is very cool. I used to collect posters, actually. When I was young in college, I collected posters. You know, the white Lamborghini. I didn't collect sexy women. I collected cars, um, supercars. The Vector was my favorite car back in the day. I think it, I think it was actually rated at 230 miles an hour, maybe 240 twin turbo American V8 made in the USA. It was a supercar, man. They didn't make too many of those. Um, key titles, a game that has significant impact. Rarity has to be rare and desired. I like desired. That has to be um, demand side economics. So what they're saying is that a rarity actually has to have demand. So a rarity is actually a double, um, a two-way player. It's 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 rare, it's short, and it has to have demand, desired. And um, I'm going to talk about that someday in a podcast for my new Patreon. But um, scarcity has to do with demand. It's a moving target day by day, minute by minute. Scarcity changes every second. When the bid button pops up, you don't know if it's scarce or not until the hammer slams on the table and you add BP and shipping and handling and sales taxes and you look at the number and you go, oh my God, that piece had more demand than I thought. That's called scarcity. And that's how you navigate this hobby to where your portfolio doesn't take hits is you protect, you protect your portfolio by predicting record breakers. And when you have drops, you use dollar cost averaging and tax loss harvesting to protect your positions on the downside.
So now that we've gone over the introduction, um, I want to test drive the, the reference guide. So I didn't grow up with Switch. I know nothing about Switch. I've never touched a Switch. I've never played a Switch. I bought and sold probably hundreds of um, raw Switch games on Amazon, Walmart, maybe Mercari, probably not Mercari, maybe a few on eBay over the last 10 to 15 years flipping stuff, flipping electronics. I've been flipping stuff for 40 years and my first flip was floppy disks, but it took me a long time to circle back to electronics. Let's say I'm coming over from coins, comics, sports cards. I've never played modern consoles. Maybe I'm older, maybe I'm 60. And I pick up the reference guide and um, customers are asking me about, they want a 10.0 switch. They want a 10.0 pristine switch game. So, you know, I'm going, okay, well, I want to go buy a case pack and um, I want to send in 30 games and try to get a 10.0. So let's look at it. Nintendo Switch, historical background, 2022, best-selling video game console, popular lineup. Obviously, it's the IP, though, you know. I don't consider the hardware really that powerful. Um, I don't know what I would get if I was a kid. I'd probably go for Xbox, maybe, because even though I'm half Japanese, I'm born and raised in America, and I would want to support the American side of the game industry. Whereas in the automotive industry, I want to support Made in Japan because of the quality. So Xbox Live, from what I understand, has the highest quality online gameplay. And that's probably what I would gravitate to as a kid because I am into social media and the dopamine rush. Um, it keeps me sober. However, it remains too early to see... Oh, this is interesting. Okay, I just learned something. However... Quote unquote, it remains too early in the Switch's lifespan to properly determine if any games on the console have traditional rarity. So this is one of the few in the guide, if not the only one, I happen to pick the one that doesn't have a traditional rarities list. So let me ask you, what are the hidden gems? Is it the limited run game stuff or the uh, super rare game short stuff? I, I, I don't think that's going to be a traditional rarity like uh, Shakedown Hawaii, is that a hidden gem? Is that a traditional rarity? So you don't have traditional rarities. You can't bet on scarcity. You can't bet on quote-unquote rare and desired by video game collectors. And that's why I am against Switch. We don't have any proof that there's any single titles that are rare or desired quote-unquote by video game collectors. We're not talking about gamers. We're talking about collectors, power collecting, dealers, flipping, so you're going to have to take a chance on key titles, which are games pumped out by the millions. And if you're talking case packs, you're probably not talking first print. And that's where the heated conversation started in Clubhouse this week. Is it right to be sending in droves of cases of second print? Whether it's Super Mario Odyssey, a Zelda Breath of the Wild, you know, Zelda Breath of the Wild, great game, great investment as an IP position if you can get something rare, in my opinion, it's got to be rare. And to me, rare means first print, high grade, if it's modern. It has to be a first print, high grade, 9.8A++, or bust, in my opinion. I would rather have that than a 10.0 second or third print. Because, quote unquote, it remains too early to properly determine if anything on the console is going to become a traditional rarity. And nobody knows because we don't know the future of digitization. 
We do know that Super Mario will survive the end of physical media. We know that Zelda will survive the end of physical media. The rest of these Pokemon, it will probably survive the end of physical media. Will Animal Crossing survive? Will Fire Emblem, Hyrule, Warriors, Kirby? Kirby, based on the lawyer that saved Nintendo from the lawsuit from Hollywood King Kong Gorilla against Donkey Kong. What a joke. Metroid? Hmm. Game of the year. I would like to have a Metroid, but I'm a flipper. I get in, I get out. Do I want to hold a Metroid Dread 9.4 second print switch slab for 10 years? If I grew up with the game, maybe your personal copy? Yes, slab your personal copy all day. But this podcast is about the market and not losing money in volatility, supply, and demand. So test driving the Switch, I learned something today. I learned that rarity is a moving target because generally rarity has been misunderstood as scarcity. And in the gaming community overall, rarity is what collectors chase. I chase scarcity. I want, I speculate on scarcity every single day. I'm speculating that that piece can be sold immediately for equal or more because it's scarce, not because of its rarity, but it could have grade rarity, condition rarity, uh, print run rarity. I love rarity on the supply side, but in terms of the title, in terms of the print run and variant, um, scarcity, man, that's my opinion. This is all my opinion. I thank you for listening to my opinions on this podcast, especially my own personal story which I love sharing and I hope I can share more through visual and audio media on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc. So happy Thanksgiving. We have an early Christmas present. You can uh, simply Google cgcvideogames.com reference guide. It's actually backslash reference dash guide. And I would like to do one more shout out to Matt and Jason um, I'm pretty much over my hard feelings. If you guys want to collaborate, I really appreciate power collecting tips. I'm going to read through this guide. I read through the black box guide that Wada put out at least 12 to 36 times. I referenced it at hundred times, you know, quick reference reference. In other words is, okay, I got this game. Someone's asking me how much it's worth. It's got a TM after system. I don't know if it's fifth, sixth or seventh. I need to go to the guide and, and zoom in exactly on what print run it is. I figure that out and I close it out. So a guide is something you go to, you grab, you get some information, factual information, and you make your own decision. It doesn't tell you what to invest in, what to collect. Okay. That's up to you. You are building a power collection. You are power collecting. You might be speculating, buy, sell, trade, flipping, dealing, um, investing like my best buddy. You might be putting together a seven, eight figure portfolio to, to um, possibly list in five, six, seven, eight years in the next bull run. Maybe you want to diversify into other consoles. So this guide can help you navigate what's out there in the macro market for that specific system console or platform are the words that are traditionally used. Publishers, I think you don't have to worry about. Just stick to consoles stick to supply and demand, stick to what do you think is going to be rare and desired in the future when you are ready to 
offload your collection, trade your collection, sell your collection, or maybe will your collection and think about your kids and when they're going to bring it to market. With that said, happy Thanksgiving. And remember, play life like a video game. Try something new. And when you fall down and get knocked out or get pushed back or pushed down, like I almost see every day in entrepreneurship, you must get back up because that's the only rule in gaming and entrepreneurship. It's never give up until you solve the game or beat that final boss um, or, you know, find that last piece in an adventure. Um, you just never give up. Try picking up a guide and opening your mind to a console that you've never touched, a console you've never picked up, touched, never seen a controller in your life, maybe in television, ColecoVision. Maybe it's a Dreamcast. Maybe it's Switch like me. Maybe it's even 3DS. Who knows? Maybe you don't have kids like me. Maybe you're from Coins and you haven't played any of the consoles. I think the ordering's great. Start with Nintendo. That's going to provide the most uh, liquidity and safety. If you're coming over as a dealer from comics, cards, sports, Pokemon, if you're into this speculating, dealing, buy, sell, trade, stick to Nintendo, get your feet wet, make mistakes quickly, get back up. So don't go too deep like I did with Atari Spider-Man. Still bleeding out. This will be my last blood in the streets um, next Tuesday. Once I'm done with that, I can move on. And I'm loving this buyer's market because once you get knocked out enough times, even Mike Tyson got knocked out. But look at him today. He's so wise and loving. He is a deep soul now, helping the world. Then you can become a master.